This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis... We have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. My name is Yami, and I'm from the Crypto Chat with Yami podcast. On June 8th of 2015, I had an encounter with what I believe to be an unidentified flying object from a far distance in our small town here of St. Cloud, Florida. It was a normal day. It was in the evening, and me and my family were just relaxing in our living room when my dad pointed out that somebody had posted something strange on the county Facebook page. Somebody had asked if other people could see this pair of lights that were in the sky. He posted a photo of them and soon, I don't even know how many people began to post their own photos and videos of these set of lights. It was three lights in a triangular formation. They seemed to be just kind of hovering over the local golf course which actually from our home was probably five minutes away. We didn't really know what to make of it. We're a very small town, not really a lot happens, but we just kind of followed along with the story and it seemed that they stayed in the area. So at that point, I reached out to a friend of mine who was working at our local church that the backyard of the church basically connects to that same golf course. And I asked if he was still there, could he pop outside and see what people were seeing? And he did confirm that he saw the exact same thing. At that point, me and my mom decided, let's just go outside and see if we can see it from our driveway. So we did. And as soon as we walked out and we turned in the direction of the golf course, there it was in the sky hovering three lights. They were in a triangular sort of formation. They weren't really moving. There was no sound. Um, They kind of flickered like a yellow and an orange color. Sometimes a light would disappear, but then it would come back. And just absolute silence. The night was so eerily silent. I can still remember it to this day. And we just kind of looked at each other like, is this really happening right now? Are we really watching this? And, you know, people on the Facebook page were throwing different explanations, you know, it's paper lanterns. Oh, it's methane gas. It's something to do with, you know, the, I think it was the Avon Park Air Force Base somewhat nearby, but we still kept watching these objects in the sky. And it was just like a feeling of shock and somewhat excitement, but I couldn't explain the slight feeling of dread that I felt watching these. You know, I'd seen stories about UFOs on TV and it'd been something that had interested me in my life, but I never thought I would actually personally see them. And the lights after about five minutes vanished and we went back inside and we followed the story through the Facebook page and they were later seen in a town south of us before they disappeared. To this day, there's no explanation about what happened here in St. Cloud, June 8th of 2015. Many people saw it. I actually have still some of the photos from that day. Um, What do I think it was? 
I'm not sure. As someone who really believes in the supernatural, paranormal, and different things like that, I'm very open to uh, the possibility that it really was an unidentified flying object. I just can't explain how something could move like that, you know, or not move, and just make absolutely no noise. It it really stuns me to this day. Uh, I don't think it was paper lanterns. I've seen paper lanterns. I don't think it was an aircraft. We live semi near an airport and we know what that sounds like. So it's it's definitely to this day an unknown mystery and I still think about it from time to time because you never think it can happen to you until it happens to you. Hi, my name's Peter. Um I'm uh I live in Arizona right now, but uh I'm uh, going to be 64 in about a week. I'm type 2 diabetic, so don't know how long I'm going to be around, but I thought it would be nice to be able to share what happened to me so many years ago. The event took place sometime between 1971 and 1973. Unfortunately, I didn't write down the date, the month, but I do know the exact time it occurred and the exact location. The event took place in Las Vegas in a suburb called Paradise Valley, which was off the desert and road in Pecos. Our house was about, what, maybe about two blocks and a half, two and a half blocks down from desert and road in Pecos there. And uh, we we had a house there. Our backyard uh, faces uh, Sunrise Mountain. And... Uh, my mother, basically my mother came into my bedroom to wake me up. And she said, Peter, Peter, you gotta come out and see this. Hurry up, hurry. And so I got up out of bed and I looked at the clock. And the clock's at 3.20 a.m. So, anyhow, I go out to the backyard. And lo and behold, up in the air, I say only about 300 feet up. And they were, like, at the edge of our backyard, like, just over, I'd say, be just beyond the wall, but 300 feet up. Not that far. And, um, there were three of them. There were three crafts. And they were in a row. There were three in a row. Each of them had two bright headlights on the front of them. Each one, each one had two headlights on the front of them. They weren't that big, the craft, but anyhow, they hovered there, and they hovered very still. They, uh, there were no propellers. There was no, no, nothing no, that showed any sign of any kind of propulsion, anything to keep them up. They they hovered there like helicopters, but no propellers. No jet engines, no nothing, because they made absolutely no sound at all. No, you got no. They hovered there for about, I'd say, a full minute. It had to have been a full minute. And yeah, and they hovered there. They were still, except the one on the left, the far left, wobbled a little bit. It, he seemed. It seemed to just, just like I don't know what you know. I just remember just wobbling, a little bit. I don't know whether it was just. They were adjusting the controls, or they were playing with the controls. I don't know, but anyhow. And so they hung there for a full minute. And I don't know, I, I we have a camera, but it ha- and it has a flash. One of those cheap cameras, but my father, who loves to take pictures, didn't think to, to get the camera. And me, I didn't want to get the camera to take a picture of them, because it has a flash, and I was afraid how they would react. If they saw the flash or they sort of taking a picture of them, I don't know how they would react. That was a feeling that I got. I remember just, I remember I, I didn't, we didn't feel, I didn't feel threatened. But, yeah, and they, and they just hovered there and, and, and I got a strong sense that they were watching us, you know. And just no sound. And the lights, they were very bright. It was very difficult to make out the shape of the craft, although the one on the far left had wobbled. I was able to see part of the craft, but I wasn't able to make out the outline, the exact shape. But it was like, it seemed to have been illuminated within the light itself. There was 
lights coming from the front of it, you know, two headlights, but the craft itself was also illuminated somehow. So anyway, after about the minute, they just disappeared, like vanished out of thin air. There was no sign of acceleration, nothing. That, that, that was definitely a, not, that was another sign to me, at least, that they were not um, conventional aircraft. Because like I, they just just like that gone. The lights went out. Their lights disappeared. They disappeared. No sign of them whatsoever. So my parents, my parents, both parents, they, after that they went inside, and I decided to stay out there because I was kind of hoping that they would come back. And well, guess what? About I don't know, two minutes later. That's how long I was out there waiting. A uh, I think it was two minutes. Yeah, around that. This blimp like craft was heading toward us coming from the east and I guess it was heading west and I thought it was a blimp for sure but the thing is it didn't have anything on the bottom like a cabin you know it didn't have any any fins on the back no propellers no nothing just a it looked like a blimp but with not just you know but but what it had also was unusual were these red lights around it, around the circumference of it, and one light would come on, one it would go off, the next one would come on, then that would go off, the next one would come on. It gave the illusion of one single light going around the craft, and it was going counterclockwise around the craft, and it moved slowly above, it was very, it was not that far above the houses either as it traveled. It was only, I don't know, maybe 50 feet above the homes, and it was, and it just went slow and you know just kept going very slow and then that and then that was it and I don't know and uh, for years I just was like was this the Air Force was this some prank was this I mean what you know but after seeing Lou Elizondo and him talking about I think it was called the five observables when I think back, there's no way this was conventional aircraft. There's no way it was a secret craft or whatever. I mean, this happened back in 1970, 1970s. I've never seen anything like that before. And there's just, there's just, just no way this was any kind of secret craft. I, I just doubt it. I doubt it. But I mean, you can make up, you know, but when I, when I think of the, uh, Lou Elizondo's five observables, they definitely fit that what you know that the criteria and i i just feel strongly that they were definitely uh, ufos well anyway yeah i never reported it we didn't want to because you know people think we're crazy and i've been tempted to call the police department there in vegas to see if there were any other people who had saw them because i can't believe no one saw them because this is in the suburbs at 3 20 a.m i mean somebody had to have been awake other than us. But I I don't know. I'm tempted, but I'm a little like, how am I going to ask this, you know? They're going to think I'm crazy. But I just, there was nothing in the newspaper that anyone saw them. Nothing on TV. So I don't know. Hello, my name is Sarah, and I'm a field naturalist in Canada. And my first and only UFO sighting so far occurred on Prince Edward Island, which is a province in Canada in 2017. So at the time I was living in my van and exploring eastern Canada and I was camping at national parks and stuff along the way because it was Canada's um, 150th birthday or whatever so all the national parks were free. So on this particular day in July I was driving at night through an agricultural area on this two-lane road um, and there was nobody else around so it was just my van and I was looking for a place to stay for the night and suddenly I saw this large cigar shaped object fly about 50 feet overhead so if you can imagine a plane flying towards you um, and it's just the wings so there's no center column where a pilot or passengers would be that's the direction that this cigar was flying and I call it the cigar most of the time if I ever refer to it because I don't know why, but saying UFO just seems 
like it's just hard for me i'm not sure why so uh the cigar it had these two lights near the ends of it and it was sort of the width of one and a half Cessna plane wingspan so it wasn't super large or super tiny but it was definitely you know noticeable flying overhead I should also mention too that my van do- like doesn't have any insulation and I was listening to a podcast at the time so my van was pretty loud, but there was no sound that notified me that this UFO was there. And I only saw it when it was near to me and then as it passed me because of the lights that were on it. And normally, if a plane flies really close to you, it's extremely loud. Like, it's not... You wouldn't not know that it was there if it was passing over you. Um, But once I looked in my rear and side view mirrors to kind of confirm what I had just seen, I couldn't see it anymore. So it was nighttime and it's perfectly reasonable that, you know, I just couldn't see it for some reason. But yeah, from my perspective, it just sort of disappeared. (laughs) And still to this day, I have absolutely no idea why I didn't just pull over and stop and look but I remember distinctly pausing my podcast and saying to myself out loud like there's no way that's not what you think there's no way there's no way you know what the boop (laughs) that kind of thing I just could not process what I was seeing it did not make any sense to my brain and I was having trouble accepting that I had seen what I saw. So the next day when I got somewhere where I could find some Wi-Fi, I ended up searching this shape of aircraft or craft or UFO because at the time the only sort of shape that I was vaguely aware of were the classic saucers or, you know, drone-esque plane shapes. So it felt super validating to see that I wasn't the first person to witness something like that or that looked like that. Uh, And I also looked up if there were airfields nearby because that would make a lot of sense for why something was flying so low to the ground. But there was just nothing around where I was. It was only agricultural land and, you know, small towns. So that was interesting, (laughs) I guess. Uh, After I saw it, I remember really wanting to tell someone but I thought that there was no way that I could say anything without someone thinking oh wow like she's really lost her mind and at the time for me it felt really important to be perceived as this intelligent rational professional person because I was just you know making my way into the corporate world at the time So saying I saw a UFO really felt like it would invalidate that. And knowing myself now, that's absurd. And I definitely wouldn't feel any fear or shame sharing that I had seen something that I could not explain. But at the time, I was super tied to that ideology. And because of that, unfortunately, I didn't write down a lot or share a lot of messages with friends about the experience because I mostly just kept it to myself. Or, you know, sometimes I would make a joke with someone and see how they responded to that and then likely I just wouldn't bring it up again so overall it was a really strange experience I didn't react how I would have thought I would have reacted at the time and still other than you know this that you're hearing right now I've never really talked about it and I'm not sure what I would say or what someone would say back to me but the experience was definitely one that got me a lot more interested in UFOs in Canada and the experiences of others. So I guess ultimately, whether or not there was an explanation for what I saw, I'm still really grateful to have had it open my mind to the possibility that there could be UFOs in a more concrete way in, I guess, my community or in my, you know, smaller world, not the wider world. Yeah, (laughs) that's about it. So thank you so much for listening to my story. I really appreciate it. Hi, my name is, um, well, I'm on Twitter as AbductedCow, and uh, this is my, one of my, my first ever UFO experience, the one I had as a child. 
and uh, it was back in the late mid to late seventies, and I was just I was age nine or ten, so I have trouble um, dating it accurately um, because obviously I was young and I've lost all the records I kept at the time. It was in a place that I used to play around that time, so um, seventy six, seventy seven, and it was either July or September, I think, because um, it was it was a time when it was still late, quite, quite still light, quite late in the evening. So um, I used to stay out. I was allowed to stay out a bit later, and. I remember the sky being really, really blue. I don't remember it getting dark at all. Um, and it was the evening. It was early evening. Um, so I'd probably say summer of 76, either July or September. Um, my dad got me into UFOs. He actually bought UFO books and brought them home. Um, he had a book by Von Daniken. It's probably the famous book. I forget what it's called right now. And um, he had a few others around which I still have a couple of them. Yeah, we watched documentaries together, me and my dad. And we even went out, he drove us out to UFO hotspots in Devon or Dartmoor at times to see if we could see something. Um, we never did, as far as I know. Um, I was in the park with my sister anyway, this, time, this particular case, um, next to Lara Railway Depot in Plymouth, um, in England. And it was a sunny early evening, pretty much cloud-free, I think completely cloud-free, if I remember correctly and I saw something in the sky very clear and still um, it's kind of like a glassy ball shape an orb some sort of orb um, and it was very still and very and you could see it very clearly although it was a long way away so wow all very small um, I can't say I remember too much how it first appeared to me but I remember it was a disc and very soon after I started watching it, it started giving off light. So um, there may have been a period where it was just a disc and then it started giving off a sequence of light. It moved through green, blue and red. So it's alternating between green, blue and red. And that went on for quite a long time as well. can't remember exactly what the sequence was. I did at the time draw all this out on a bit of paper, but I've lost it. Um, at some point I noticed I wasn't the only person watching. There may have been... Maybe around a dozen kids, um, some with their parents, and uh, quite a few now were watching this object. Um, one kid I remember asked his dad what it was, and the dad said, oh, it's nothing. Um, it clearly wasn't nothing. It clearly was something. Um, and because of my interest in UFOs, I was determined to stay watching it to see how it ended. I think my sister probably wasn't that interested and wanted to go home, but... Uh, I didn't want to go home and um, I'm not sure the time involved it felt like a long time that we were standing there watching it at some point I noticed a tiny cloud being blown along towards the object so there was otherwise blue sky and there was this um, tiny tiny cloud and it was moving in a very straight line towards the object um, and it was noticeable because it was the only cloud visible in the whole sky at the time the cloud moved until it covered up the object so you couldn't see the disc with the with the lights on it anymore um you could just see the cloud and then it stopped it stopped moving and it just stayed in one place and then a bit of time passed and a plane flew out of the cloud no plane had flown in nothing had flown in all of this was very clear so i wasn't mistaking it for anything else um and if I had seen a plane go into the cloud, I would have seen it, because I was watching it. It had the whole sky to cross to get to the cloud. I would have seen it somewhere. It had the appearance of a passenger jet plane flying at whatever cruising altitude they fly over Plymouth. And um, I remember seeing planes flying that high. Um, there's no airport nearby, so they did just fly over. Well, there was no airport at the time nearby. And I don't think we had many planes flying over that weren't military, so... The, nearest airport was um, major airport was 40 miles away the plane was silent um, which I knew was unusual because you normally hear something and it had no contrails at all which also again I noted as being unusual because you would normally see a bloody great um, contrail coming cloud coming out the back a long you know the long clouds 
left behind. Um, so I watched it move. It, it just carried on going across the sky. Um, I can't remember what happened to the cloud, whether it dissipated or whether it was still there. I can't remember that at all now. But the plane moved um, towards... Um, I think it was going north. It was moving towards Dartmoor from where I was. So maybe north-east. And... Um, then it vanished. It just disappeared. It just winked out of existence. It didn't fade away. It didn't speed up unless it's unless it was really fast. So I couldn't see it going. Um, but no, it just winked out of existence. Suddenly gone. So I watched. I carried on watching for a while after that. I think I seem to remember to see if anything more happened. Uh, bugs me that I can't remember what happened to the cloud. But um, after that, uh, I went home and uh, told my parents. Um, my dad said he was envious as he'd never even seen a UFO. In fact, he said that a few times. I think he was a bit annoyed that he wasn't there or that I saw one without him. I drew the whole thing out using my coloured pens. I wrote a description. I'd spent the evening doing that. I've got a feeling it was a Sunday. So I had the Sunday evenings to sit and do that. I wish I still had that, but I don't. I probably lost it fairly quickly, <laughs> to be honest. Um, or my mum threw it out because she wasn't into it at all. And uh, I never reported it either. So, uh, well, I remember at the time I had intention to. I, I think in the end I just wasn't sure who I could report it to, who'd be interested. And it just I just let it go. I was quite excited by it. I told quite a few people at the time, um, individually, people that I thought I could trust. Um, I remember trying to get people at school, uh, trying to tell people at school about it, and getting my sister in as a as 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 a witness, and she just said, "I don't remember." <laughs> she was like a couple of days later, and she said, "I don't remember anything," so she wasn't going to talk about it. And uh, months later, I read *Mothman Prophecies* by John Keel, and there was a case in there of a UFO simply got covered up by a cloud, and then. A biplane flew out of it, and uh, I remember thinking that sounds a little bit similar to what I saw. So that, and the lights as well, it's similar with the lights, and I got a little bit excited again by that, because um, it wasn't that long after the book had come out. So it was that was quite a recent. I mean, I know it was in the sixties, but it was it felt like quite a recent thing to me at the time. And that's it, really. That's it. I've seen other things since, but. That's the best thing I've ever seen. Um, and that's the first thing I ever saw. Okay, thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Bye. Hey, Ryan, Kevin here. So approximately almost 10 years ago now, I was driving home on the freeway, maybe 2 to 3 in the morning, and I was coming up on the roundabout to go switch freeways, maybe about a mile from home. 
and I could see these three red orbs um, floating above the freeway. And I just knew in my gut that it wasn't anything normal, like flying there. And I had been into UFOs and things like that um, just casually as as a kid. Didn't really know if I disbelieved it or did believe it. But in that moment, I, I it was kind of like a confirmation for me that this these things are real and that's what this was that I was witnessing. And as I came up around the roundabout, I drove right underneath them. And I would say that if I were to stand on top of my car and reach up, I could probably touch one of them. Knowing that this was a rare occurrence, I raced home and my mom happened to be up. She works late. And I grabbed her. I said, you got to come see this. Didn't tell her what it was. I said, you just have to see it. It's very interesting. We got in the car, drove back. Again, it's only a mile, less than a mile away, so it didn't take long. And they were completely gone. Like, not even far away, anything like that. It was completely gone. And, of course, I probably seemed crazy to my mom at the time because she, here I am at 2 or 3 in the morning grabbing her to, to take her to see something, and it's not there anymore. She probably thought I was on drugs or something. But anyway, that was it. And I, at the time, I kind of had a regret of racing home. And I, I feel like I should have stopped and, you know, maybe ex- had the experience last a little bit longer so that I could, you know, take more detail into it or whatever. I was probably close to 18, 19 years old. So. I had just started driving out on my own and things like that. So I would say I was becoming into adulthood and having this experience confirm that these things were real was kind of a relief to me because I actually witnessed it myself and I didn't have to base it on anyone else's belief. Um, but at the same time, now thinking back, it almost taught me that to have a little bit of sympathy or empathy for for other witnesses because the first thing that people do when they talk about a an experience that they had it, you know that someone's going to say oh there were seagulls they were chinese lanterns they were swamp gas whatever you may have but in that moment the best way i could describe them to you would be a chinese lantern because that's the closest Um, physical thing that I could use to describe it however that's not what it was and I I just know it was not three Chinese lanterns it was in the almost in the middle of nowhere Um, I live in I lived in this small town at the time so two and three in the morning I highly doubt someone would be floating three Chinese lanterns in the middle of nowhere Um, beyond that I I know that they were floating there. They weren't flying, so they weren't going up, going down, moving at all. They were just there. And almost like they were just hanging from something. And no no cables to be seen, nothing for them to be hanging from. But just the way that they f- were there in the sky, you, it was just as if something was holding them there. And I've seen Chinese lanterns before. I know that that's not what it was, but that's just the best thing that I could use to describe it. Um, So it kind of gives me a lot of empathy for um, other experiencers because when people doubt them, you know, it's easy to, to say, oh yeah, Kevin saw three Chinese lanterns floating in the sky. It wasn't no, it wasn't a big deal, but unless you experience it yourself and you have the entire experience, it's kind of hard to say what someone else is experiencing because I just had this feeling like in my gut that I knew that that's what they were. Um, I don't know if that was a feeling coming from what it was or if it was just in my heart or whatever, but I knew that what I saw was not normal and it was, confirmed to me so yeah I, I don't know I'm looking back I this was cell phones were just becoming popular 
weren't very widespread, so it's not like I could have snapped a photo of it with my cell phone. If I did, it was probably less than a megapixel of a camera, so it's not like the photo would have come out very well. Just looking back, I just kind of have a regret that I, I wish I had some kind of a camera, some kind of a video camera to record the experience. Um, I guess that's why my first thought was to race home and grab my mom to come experience it as well because I needed someone else to back me up and say that what I had seen was real. But I, I, it also gives me a lot of empathy for other experiencers because people always say like, well, why didn't you record it? Why didn't you draw a picture of it? Why didn't you do this or that? Um, why is the camera so shaky? Again, like unless you're in that in that moment, you don't know what you're going to do. And you almost kind of react at a, I don't know what the word to use, uh, maybe like a, a wild naturistic level. Like you just respond naturally. You don't think about what's going to, you know, oh, I should shoot a camera, a picture of this. I should um, grab my video camera. You just you're in such awe of the experience that you're not thinking logically of what you should do in that moment to prove that this experience happened. You're just experiencing it. And so that gives me a lot of empathy for, for people that are willing to share this. Um, in fact, this is probably the first time I've ever shared this um, publicly just because it, I, I feel like it wasn't an experience for me to to share it was just something that maybe I needed to see to confirm my belief in these things being out there um, again I was just go going into adulthood so maybe it was some type of lesson for me to say you know I'm not going off into adulthood alone I have um, someone looking out for me um, or maybe in the moment just because I was driving home so late maybe they were there looking after me to make sure I got home okay. I don't, I really don't know. But all in all, it's just, like I said, you, you can't really judge someone's experience unless you've experienced something similar yourself because you don't know what you're going to do in that moment. It's just like someone that's in an accident. When you're looking back, you're all, oh, shoot, I wish I would have done this or that. Um, I wish I would have grabbed my special... Um, sentimental item from my house before my house burnt down I wish I would have grabbed my phone out of my car before the car caught on fire I don't know just you always have those regrets because because in the moment you're not thinking logically you're just thinking of the experience and so I think that's something that everyone should keep in mind whether you're an experiencer or not that just have an open heart and open mind and believe. Hello, my name is Brett. I am 47. I live on the Gold Coast in Australia. I wear a few hats for work, but I mostly work as an instructional designer. I also have a professional fine arts and photography practice and degrees in teaching and visual arts. The Gold Coast is a city with a population of around 680,000 people and, as the name suggests, is on the east coast of Australia, bordering the states of Queensland and New South Wales. I live about 15 kilometres away from the beach. This event took place in 2011. It was about 9pm. Um, it was a dark evening. Um, there was very little moonlight and the sky was clear and there was no wind I was taking a bag of garbage out to a larger bin that we have around the side of the house and faces the southeast. As I walked via the property's front to go around the house's side, at about a 75 degree angle to the horizon and to the south was an object moving slowly across the sky from east to west at roughly 500 to 700 feet. It moved at a steady pace of perhaps 20 to 30 kilometres per hour which translates to 10 to 15 knots or 12 to 18 miles per hour. Beneath it, it had three round orbs of red colour equidistant apart in an equilateral triangle. The orbs had a steady red glow and within each of the orbs was another darker coloured orb, but it was also reddish in the centre. 
The orbs were fairly close to each other, but not that far apart. The um, red glow had the intensity of an electric hot plate turned on high. It was tough to tell how big or what shape the object was because it was dark and I could only see the orbs. The orbs appeared to be a part of the same structure, so they didn't appear to be separately moving objects. I would suggest the object was 30 feet in diameter or possibly more, but um, I'm only guessing, I, I can't really tell. The object held a steady course and altitude for the entire time I watched it, which lasted for as long as it was visible to me, which would have been five minutes or more. The object also emitted a very unusual sound. If you can imagine the sound of gas inside a gas bottle when you turn a gas bottle on or off, it emitted a kind of crackling sound, and the sound was contained within something as, as though it was metallic, as though an echo coming from within a metallic object. When I first saw the object, I immediately thought it was a fancy Chinese lantern and although not dismissive, I kind of didn't really think too much of it because I thought, oh, that's really cool. But after about 10 or 15 seconds and having heard the sound it was making and by its size, its trajectory, its course, its altitude, I began to doubt that very quickly. I'm not aware of Chinese lanterns making that kind of sound, and I have no doubts that this object was making that sound. There was no wind either, yet the object retained a steady path and wasn't gaining in altitude. There was no flickering at all from the orbs. It was a solid, constant glow. I didn't consider it a drone either, because drones were quite rare in Australia in 2011, and the sound it made was entirely different for a drone. So that's why I kept watching it. I was waiting for something to happen, and it just kept going. I considered grabbing my phone or camera, but I thought it might disappear when I got back to where I was. So the next morning, I looked up any local headlines on the internet. There was nothing. I went to work and told the small team of four people I worked with, did anyone hear of anything in the news about a possible UFO, or did anyone see anything last night? And no one did. They all listened and took it quite seriously when I told them what I had experienced and they asked the same kinds of questions that I asked myself. And then one of them cracked a joke and everyone laughed and that was kind of the end of the discussion. I didn't speak about it um, much after that, mainly because I didn't think reporting it would have any consequence. And unless someone stepped forward and announced that they had constructed this thing and could explain what it was, then there was no telling what it was. We can only guess. Although I still don't know what I saw was, and am reluctant to say I saw a UAP or UFO, I do fervently believe in the phenomena of UAPs. While I can't rule out that some UAP sightings are the products of US black budgets, I am reasonably certain unidentified aerial phenomena of unknown origins are visiting us. What they are, how they get here, who or what controls them are the big unanswered questions, and this is what drives my curiosity and desire to study them. Thanks so much for having me. My name's Luis Jimenez. Um, I am an actor in Los Angeles, California, and I have I run the YouTube channel, The Unidentified Celebrity Review. If you haven't heard of it, please go check it out. I, I'm very fascinated by the UAP topic. Of course, if you do or do not know, I've, I'm also very politically active in moving this UAP topic further into the halls of Congress and our senators. Um, it's I love this topic for a multitude of reasons. I'm not going to get into that here because that's not what you're here for. You're here for my story. So the year is 1993. I was 13 years old. I was living in Cooper City, Florida, and it's about 20 miles outside of Miami. So I was 13 years old, and my best friend at the time, whose name was Tony, uh, invited me to a birthday party of one of his friends. Now, I can't remember this girl's name, but what I do remember is that she didn't live very far from me. I'd say probably two miles tops, but... You know, again, my my house was one of these very cookie cutter developments, and her house was literally lined up against an entire cow pasture. So, you know, we get to this party, and yeah, great time. You know, typical 
kid's birthday party, but there was a lot of people. This was a big property. These people had a lot of friends. And so the this was around, I'd say, summertime. It had to have been summer. And the sun went down, and the party was still going on. And at some point, uh, my friend Tony and I see this girl who's standing out in the middle of this property and she's by herself. (laughs) And I think it was actually the girl whose party it was. And, and she's looking to the sky. And so we're like, what is she doing? (laughs) So we walked over there and we're saying, Hey, what are you looking at? What's going on? And she points up and we see now this is where my memory really kind of jumbles because you got to understand this is, a 27-year-old memory. We we both look up, and I do remember seeing a strange light, but it was pretty high, and it was pretty far away. Nothing crazy unusual about it. But then this is where my memory really jumbles. The next thing I remember is that this light is hovering 100 feet above a cow pasture, and it's the size of two school buses two school buses stacked on top of one another. I don't remember. I see, man, gosh, this is, this is where memories really play tricks, but I remember it having a shape, but I don't remember any distinct lines. What I remember, the first description I thought of when I was explaining it to people was it looks like a breakfast bowl. Like you would put your cereal in, And imagine if you took that breakfast bowl and just made it, you know, one-tenth smaller than the the original breakfast bowl. And then you take that breakfast bowl and you flip it on top of the one sitting on the table and you put them together at the rim. That's kind of what this thing looked like. And what I really remember was how bright it was, especially in the middle. The middle of it was so bright white and the outside aura of it if I remember correctly was almost like a green hue as soon as I saw it I do remember and of course by this time the entire party had walked over to where we were and you were hearing wow oh my god what is that what's going on and as this is happening it was almost like slow motion. Even as a th- as a 13-year-old kid, I can remember going through my mental Rolodex of what this object could be. Helicopter. No. There's no noise. <laughs> it, it's close enough we should hear something if it's a helicopter. Is it a blimp? No, it's not big enough to be a blimp. And I've been around blimps. I've been around the Goodyear blimp. It's way louder than this object is. I mean, the uh, big Goodyear blimp, and they're very common in this area of Florida that I lived in. Blimps are very, very common because we had the Miami Dolphins that played all the time, not not far from our home. And they're just there's always something going on in Fort Lauderdale or Miami that requires a Goodyear blimp. So seeing the Goodyear blimp was something that I was very, very familiar with. It was not a blimp. It couldn't have been a plane because it was stationary. And also, what is a plane doing above a cow pasture? I mean, I'm literally, I'm going through this Rolodex and nothing that I can think of is matching what I'm looking at. So as soon as I finished that mental Rolodex, the immediate thought that filled my brain was, I want to get a better look at it. So I began to run. (laughs) I started running toward this object but to do so i had to go back the way i came and go around this little like berm or fenced area so i can get to that dirt road that was closer to the cow pasture and the this dirt road had trees that were i'd say 50 feet tall they're like pine trees that lined the dirt road and i did not take my eye off of this object as i was trying to run closer to it And I did lose it behind these trees. And the second I got to the dirt road, 
I lost track of it because it was behind these trees. And then when I got to the road, it was gone. I never saw it again. Um, I did not see it leave. I don't remember the descriptions of the other people that didn't run closer with me. What they described as it left or what did it look like? Did it zoom off? Did it blink out? I don't know. I, I don't remember asking and I don't remember ans- getting that question answered at any time. I was floored. As a 13-year-old kid, I had already had an interest in UFOs. As a matter of fact, the very first thing that got me into the UFO topic was the Bob Lazar story, which had happened four years earlier. So my curiosity in this topic had already been fueled. I was already looking at UFO books in the library. It was a topic that I was very, very familiar with as a 13-year-old kid. So that's why I think I was in a very unique position to witness something like this because I've already had a lot of frame of reference, especially when it came to planes. We lived pretty much right underneath the flight path of the Fort Lauderdale International Airport. So for an object to be in that cow field at that time was probably a flight risk, you know, uh, again, this is, this is the landing path that, you know, major commercial airlines are using to land their planes. So, you know, you see a commercial jet come over this property at a pretty low level every 15, 20 minutes, you know, back in 1993, Fort Lauderdale international airport wasn't as busy as it is today, but you go today And you will see, you will hear airplanes, commercial jets fly over this property every five minutes now. I mean, there's constantly landing. So it was really easy to determine that this thing did not fit typical aircraft. Not to mention, living in Miami, every year we had the Miami International Air Show. (laughs) So I was very familiar with the Blue Angels. I was very familiar with jet aircraft. I had been in jet aircraft. I mean, of course, I wasn't a professional at 13. I wouldn't be able to tell you what kind of jet I was looking at when it was flying by at a close distance or a really far distance. Um, But I I was familiar with the sounds, with the maneuvers, what they look like, what they especially sound like. And that's the thing that really, really struck me as so odd about this object. We were only three or four hundred yards away from it, and there was no sound. And this is a time before drones. This is a time before any of that kind of technology even existed. So it was profound. <laughs> the, the way it made me feel was excited. I've never been that excited to have seen something in my life. I think it did scare some people in the crowd, but I was really excited because I knew what I was looking at so much so that I tried to get a better look at it. <laughs> I tried to get a better look of it and it just didn't work out. I wish I had stayed where I was because then maybe I would have been able to see it take off or or blink out or whatever happened, but I never got the opportunity to, to see that. So with that excitement, you know, everybody in the party is now talking about this. And I'm, when I tell you there was at least 40 witnesses to this event, there was 40 witnesses to this event. So this was, I was not by myself and sure you can say, man, maybe some of the parents there were drinking and inebriated, but there was kids there, a lot of kids and they all saw myself included. So my best friend's mom comes to pick us up and I'd say it was probably around 9:30 at night when I got home and I burst through the front door at a million miles per hour and my entire house my sister my little brother my mother my grandmother my stepdad they were all pretty much sleeping <laughs> everybody was in bed or getting ready to pass out And I ran into my parents' bedroom and I was just so excited and so 
amped and so I wanted them to hop out of bed and listen to what I was saying because the the my life had just profoundly changed and I wanted them to know why my parents did not react the way I wanted them to it it was like okay son all right let's talk about it tomorrow we'll talk about it tomorrow can we we we're just trying to get some sleep <laughs> And I didn't sleep for the whole night. As a matter of fact, what was interesting is at the time, I'm trying to remember the name of the television show. But there was a, there was a show on Fox TV around this time where you could call in and tell the television show about your experience. And I was very detailed. I remember the direction, the, uh, the, the way the wind was blowing. Uh, what the temperature was like, where the craft was located, um, in what direction it was when we first saw it versus when we saw it over the cow field and what direction that, that was. I, I laid out so many details because they were so fresh on my mind to, a, to the voicemail <laughs> of this production company. So maybe somewhere out there there's a recording of my testimony on what happened with this uh, sighting. And um, it was, I'm telling you, the most profound moment of my life. And ever since then, I've been hooked. Absolutely hooked. And I've gone down the rabbit holes. I've worked my way out of rabbit holes. And I, the cool thing is, is that it's taken me 27 years to really formulate and learn how to talk about this experience, but not only this experience, but my passion for this field. And the cool thing about finding this passion, I think in, you know, the latest part of my life, at least as of right now, I started my show a year ago, is that I can talk about this topic without ridicule. Without people looking at me like I have two heads, this topic is no longer saved for the tinfoil hat party. <laughs> and so, you know, that was my experience. That was my aha moment. And ever since then, it w I assume this is kind of like what heroin is like. I've always been looking for that fix. I want to see another one. I really, really do. I would kill to go back in a time machine and relive that night, that summer night in 1993. So I just want to say thank you to Ryan Sprague for allowing me to share this story. Um, it's not one that I like to share often because of the, the way I'm trying to formulate my political activism around the UAP topic and bringing personal stories um, is usually not very helpful in this field, but I do enjoy the opportunity to actually tell people because uh, it is a badge of honor. I got to witness something that very few people have ever, ever experienced. And I feel lucky. I really, really do. Um, and it's inspired every single decision that I've made in my life. Absolutely profound. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you uh, to all the fans out there in the Somewhere in the Skies family. I consider you my family as well. Ryan Sprague is one of the best human beings on the planet. And, uh, and I would do anything for the man, I'm, as I'm sure you guys would. So show him your love, show him your support, uh, because he... He's always heading up wonderful ideas like this and, and wonderful ways to share personal experiences because he's right. They're important. We need to talk about them. We need to document them. Uh, so that way we can find similarities. And, and this is data and it's good data. You know, unfortunately, right now, it's not the data our congressmen want to look at. But in 15, 20, 25 years, I think this data will be will be a request from the people that we want to tell. Uh, they're going to want to hear this data because they're going to have such a mountain of data that they're going to want to fill in gaps to that data. 
And I think that's where we, the people, will come in. The people with these stories and experiences. So thank you, Brian Sprague. And that's it. I'm done. Uh, Stay safe and be well. Peace. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.